0: Welcome to Taking the Party Out of Politics. This is a podcast about understanding how politics is supposed to work, why it isn't working as well as it could be working, and what we might be able to do about it. In Series 1, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of us, the voters. In Series 2, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of someone trying to get elected and then trying to do a good job. This is Series 3. In Series 3, we're looking at what we might be able to do to make things work a bit better. We'll be using our understanding that we've built up over Series 1 and 2, of what bits of our political systems aren't working, and why they aren't working, to explore ways in which we might be able to change things around a bit, to make it all work a bit better. Importantly, while we'll be sharing our ideas, we'll also be sharing some of the best of your ideas, about how to make things work a bit better. Welcome to episode 31 of Taking the Party Out of Politics. Today we're going to continue our look at how we solve some of the big challenges facing us and our political system. Yes, that's right, we've spent the past year or so detailing the problems, but now we're going to take that understanding of the problems, our understanding of why things aren't working as well as they should be working, And we're going to start to bring together some of the best ways in which we should and could change things. And it is about changing things, tweaking things, adjusting things. It isn't about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There are many good things in our political system and we should keep the good things. But we shouldn't be overawed by the good things. We should acknowledge where there are shortcomings and we should work out how to fix them. Today we're going to continue that process by looking at the idea of citizen information. The fight back against post-truth politics starts here. So, you might be thinking, what's the big deal? I know when something is fake. Well, do you? Do you really? How do you know? Do you check the sources of the statistics which you hear from other people down the pub? or the sources of the statistics which you hear from journalists on the news, or even the sources of the statistics which you hear from our elected representatives, our MPs? I doubt it. I do. But only sometimes. Certainly not as often as I should do. There's just too much going on. So if you don't double-check if some good news is really as good as it sounds, or if some bad news is really as bad as it sounds, well, I don't blame you. Not at all. But still, we need to do better than that. We can't be making decisions, and we can't have our government making decisions based on incorrect information, on misled beliefs, which have been formed on the basis of incorrect information, on misguided policy decisions, which have been formed on the basis of misled beliefs. Well, you get the picture. Generally speaking, though, do you think you have a pretty accurate understanding of the way the world is, roughly what's happening, and... What should probably be done about it? You might do. You might believe that you do. But you might well be wrong. Not your fault, but important to be aware that you might well be wrong. And that it might be just as well to check. As they say, not just to have a good feeling for what the statistics probably should be, but to know what they actually are. So, you still might be thinking, what's the big deal? I know when something is fake. OK, fair enough. You've probably heard of fake news. But what do you actually understand by this term? Is it just something you've heard Donald Trump use when talking about others? Or perhaps you've heard others used about Donald Trump? You might be thinking of the version of the news about the war in Ukraine, which is being shown to the average ordinary citizen in Russia. We might be surprised that the average Russian citizen is just sitting back and accepting that Russia has ahead and invaded another country. And according to a US general, perhaps as many as 100,000 Ukrainian and another 100,000 Russian troops have either been killed or injured. How could anyone just sit back if they understood how wrong it was and how bad it was? Well, that's the effect of fake news. You see, what we see on the news about what's happening in Ukraine and read in the paper or online or here on the radio, well, that's not what the average ordinary Russian citizen is seeing or hearing. They're getting quite a different picture. Different numbers. The last update from the Russian government on the numbers of Russian troops killed, which was issued in September, was just 5,937. Different details. Even a different narrative about why the invasion is taking place. In fact, it's not even referred to in Russia as an invasion or a war. It's referred to as a special military operation. A different set of facts, a different narrative, a different explanation as to why such and such is happening. It all leads to a different understanding of the world. And it can lead to support or an absence of support for the government. Do you think that you'd be immune to this sort of thing? If you were in Russia and you had no other source of news... You couldn't just go and look on the internet, for example, because that's blocked. Would you tend to just believe what your government was telling you, especially if all your friends already believed it? Well, let's think about another example. 6th of January 2021. Joe Biden has just won the US presidential election. And Donald Trump has just lost. In an effort to stop President Biden's election from being certified by Congress... The supporters of Donald Trump stormed the Congress building. Many people were hurt. Approximately 140 police officers were assaulted, one of whom later died. Some of the rioters had been jailed as a result of the attack. But why did they do it? Was it just because they all decided to do it based on what the mainstream media were saying? Well, nothing's been quite proven yet because there are still criminal and political procedures underway. But the general consensus seems to be that Donald Trump was sending out incorrect information about the election, misleading facts, and there were enough of his supporters who chose to believe him rather than believe the mainstream media. Perhaps Donald Trump's supporters genuinely did believe that there was some sort of deep state conspiracy to steal the election result from Trump. Perhaps the supporters were acting in what they thought was good faith. But if Donald Trump, with his tweets and his speeches, had managed to get the false message out to them so that they believed it, then Donald Trump was using fake news himself. Perhaps the politician who complains most about fake news might actually be the biggest source of fake news. Do you think that you'd be different to those people in that crowd? They wanted to believe their hero. You might not think that Donald Trump is a hero. I certainly don't but a bit of wishful thinking, a bit of him saying a few things which are actually true, and a feeling that the system has been letting you down for years, well, you might be ready to believe that the system was trying to rob your hero of the election. Would you be able to rise above that? Now, those are two big examples, but there are smaller, more subtle, but still important examples. In the UK, our government might announce that it's increasing the spending on something. Education, health, whatever but the government might announce the increase several different times. It's only new spending once. It's not that the government is directly lying, but if you hear about new spending being announced in the summer and then a different minister announcing how the new money is going to be spent in the autumn, you'd have to stop and think very carefully if you're going to avoid assuming that this was a second lot of new spending. Not fake, but certainly misleading. So it's not just the big things, it's the small things, the misleading things, the things which make things seem better. Or, if political parties are talking about the opposition, perhaps things which make things seem worse. OK, so point made, I hope. I'm not going to go on anymore about fake news here. You've heard of it. What I am going to go on about is how there's too much of it and how we need to be clear about what the facts are. Let me give you a different sort of example about... Fake information about the world. Information which is probably in your head. It's not exactly your fault, but most of your understanding of how the world is, is stuff which you probably learned at school. A very few of us pay really close attention to updated statistics all the time. You might actually pay more attention to the goal difference of your favourite Premier League club than you do to the average wage in the UK. Or to the average wage in sub Saharan Africa. That's not a criticism. It's hard to keep reassessing our understanding of the world. But let me give you a few up to date statistics just to highlight how our assumptions might be a bit skewed about the way the world is. If I tell you that there are nearly as many people in Africa as there are in China, would you be surprised? I was. We think of China as having this huge population. How could there be nearly as many people in Africa as there are in China? Well, the population of Africa is 1.4 billion. And the population of China is 1.4 billion. Slightly more in China at the moment. And not just that, but India is right there too. The population of India is 1.4 billion. And just the other day, it's estimated that the population of India surpassed the population of China. Well. If that didn't surprise you, what about this? Can you name the five most populous Muslim countries? Now, if you're like most people, you might be thinking about the spiritual home of Islam, Saudi Arabia, the Middle East, but you'd be wrong. The most populous Muslim countries are Indonesia, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Nigeria, And it's not until you get to number six that you even get close to the Middle East, with Egypt at number six, and then Iran at number seven. Now, they say that ignorance is bliss, and it can also be funny, but it can also be extremely dangerous. We need to know what the basic facts about the world actually are. Otherwise, how do we know when some new piece of information is important? For example, if I tell you that 6.9 million people in the UK are smokers, that might sound like a huge number. Now, you probably have a rough idea of the population of the UK, so you might be able to work out that this is just over 14% of the population. Now, depending on your baseline information, you might think that this is a large percentage of the population, or you might think that this is not actually as large a percentage of the population as you might have expected. It depends when you last thought about smokers. Or how many smokers there are in your immediate circle of friends? I can tell you that the number has dropped from just over 20% between 2010 and 2019. Or that the figures today are about one-third of the numbers which were reported in 1974, which means that it was more like 45% of the population who smoked just 35 years earlier. What about deaths in childbirth? Are they high? I mean... Even one death of a woman in childbirth is tragic, of course. If I tell you that 229 women died in childbirth or up to six weeks after the end of pregnancy in the period between 2018 and 2020, what's your first thought? Is that more or less than you would have expected? But this number can only really make sense if we understand what is called the baseline. I mean, what proportion of women die in childbirth? Any idea? Well one way of looking at that number of 229 women who died during pregnancy or up to six weeks after the end of pregnancy is that it corresponds to 10.9 women per 100,000 giving birth. That doesn't make it any less terrible but then again that's just 0.000109%. But now does that number seem less high somehow? Well, what about if I tell you that that number is 24% higher than it was in the period 2017 to 2019? It's still not a high proportion of the total number of women who are pregnant and who gave birth. But surely, understanding the background, the context, the baseline, that this represents a 24% increase, that's an increase, not a decrease, that number is getting worse, not better. Well, surely, that's a greater cause for concern. Do you see what I mean? We need to understand the context for the figures to make sense. If I just started with the fact that the number is 24% higher than in the last recorded period, you might think that something truly awful was happening. But if I tell you that it's just 10.9 women per 100,000 giving birth, or 0.0000109%, well, that doesn't make it better, or even make it less awful but it does give us the right context to understand what the figures mean. And what would be the right response in the light of that information? Well, probably to work out why things are getting worse and not getting better, but also not to panic. Well, a recent UK poll illustrates how ignorance, reinforced by media and, to their shame, our government, can encourage potentially dangerous prejudices. For example... 51% of people in the UK believe that violent crime is rising, when actually it's fallen over the past seven years. Let me tell you about some other misinformed beliefs, based on responses to a survey. They're not maliciously held beliefs, but they do skew the rest of the way we understand the world. People believe that Britain's immigrant population is 31%. It's actually 1313 People believe that 24 of every £100 is lost to benefit fraud. It's actually 70p. People believe that 15% of girls under 16 get pregnant. It's actually 0.6%. 29% of respondents believe that more is spent on jobseekers' allowance than on pensions. In fact, 15 times more is spent on pensions than on jobseekers' allowance. I hope you can see that if you happen to be one of the people who had been given the impression that the first higher figure was the correct one, you might be forgiven for thinking that the world was a pretty terrible place, that the country had gone to the dogs. But it hasn't, as we can see from the second accurate figure in each case. We need to make sure that we have accurate, up-to-date information. We need to agree on the facts. We can't have a political discussion descending into whether my statistics are more accurate than your statistics. Statistics should be statistics. If they've been well recorded and meaningfully presented, so we understand the implication, the context, then they're just the facts. We can have a political discussion about what we should do in the light of the facts, but we shouldn't be arguing about what the facts are. Democracy only works if the people If all the people have access to information, to understanding, government without objective data leads to government by prejudice and assumption. Of course, I'm far from the first person to have noticed all of this. Let me tell you about two different types of initiatives which are trying to address both the misconceptions in our heads, because our information is out of date, and the misconceptions which we're sometimes led to believe because our politicians are not using statistics accurately. First, if you haven't already heard of it, then you should look at the Gapminder website, in particular at Dollar Street. Gapminder is trying to help us all have a clearer understanding of the world by helping us to think again about the assumptions we have about the world. Gapminder, quote, identifies systematic misconceptions about important global trends and proportions and uses reliable data to develop easy-to-understand teaching materials to rid people of their misconceptions, unquote. And Dollar Street is one of the ways that Gapminder does this. Again, quote, Imagine the world as a street ordered by income. Everyone lives somewhere on the street. The poorest lives to the left, and the richest to the right. Everybody else lives somewhere in between, unquote. And what Dollar Street does is to try to help us to relate to those people all over the world by giving us real pictures of ordinary people, giving us a little window into their lives. And starting with the founder of Gapminder, that was a Swedish public health official called Hans Rosling, the idea is to help us to understand the real state of the world. It could be better, certainly, but it might actually be better than you think. Well, that's one example. It's a really good one, and it's trying to help us to keep up to date with the way the world is today. I really recommend that you have a look at it. But what about something more directly related to fake news today? Have you heard of Full Fact? Full Fact is a charity, an independent organisation which checks up on what information is being used, what figures are being quoted by politicians and others. Full Fact starts from the same understanding we have here that, quote, Bad information promotes hate, damages people's health, and hurts democracy. Unquote. What does Full Fact actually do? First, they fact check claims made by politicians, public institutions, and journalists, as well as viral online content. It's important for us all to have information we can trust. How else are we going to understand what the truth is about the situation? And how else are we going to know? whether our politicians are doing a good job on our behalf. They also follow up on fact checks by asking people to correct the record when they get things wrong. That way, we can stop and we can reduce the spread of bad information. It's great that there are organisations like Full Fact out there doing this. There are others too. Some media organisations have their own in-house fact-checking organisations. For example, the BBC has a reality check section. Some websites and media outlets are trying to introduce a way of helping you to know whether the information on a webpage is true, or just designed to look true, as a way of misleading you. Sounds good. Organisations like Gapminder to update us on basic information about the world, a good way to keep abreast of our understanding of our place in the world, and of what other people and other countries are really like organisations like Full Fact to double-check the information which is being thrown about and at us in the media and by our politicians. Well, the one thing which I regret about organisations like Gapminder and Full Fact is that they're charities. They're supported by individual donations from people like you and me, as well as a few large donations from some big donors. I mean, it's great that they are supported. But I'm always a little mixed when I know that the organisations doing the really important stuff are also having to spend a lot of their time fundraising, making sure that the donations keep coming in. Have you ever thought about how much of a charity's turnover is spent on fundraising and how much goes on what the charity is actually there to do? There's been a study which suggests that the British public would be comfortable with a charity spending only 58% of its income on actually helping beneficiaries and up to 42% on fundraising, campaigning, and running costs. Maybe. Of course, for Full Fact or Gapminder, they don't have any beneficiaries in the sense they don't provide money or services to particular targeted individuals. They only have running costs, and then we all benefit from the information and the clarity which is provided. A 2018 report identifies an average spend of 10% of income being spent on fundraising, by the top 100 fundraising charities. But that average is the average of a huge range of actual spending, from 38% by crisis to 0.6% by the National Trust. It would be a mistake to make organizations like that into a part of our government. It's important that they should remain independent. But I do sort of also regret that we can't just find a way of funding the best charities, the ones which are doing the work which is really making the world a better place. Or thousands or millions of people from some sort of central public purse without making all the charities also into fundraising machines. Anyway, perhaps that's my problem. Perhaps these organizations all putting a significant proportion of their time and money into fundraising, perhaps that's just the way of the world. Perhaps I just need to get over it. But I do wonder if we really need this stuff to ensure that we're basing our decisions and forming our opinions of how well our politicians and government are doing that we're basing those decisions on the best, most accurate information, perhaps we should be funding it in some sort of way so that it's able to be independent, but also able to just get on with the work and not have to be going cap in hand to ask for more money all the time. A sort of citizen information resource for everyone, funded by the National Taxation Purse. So, that's it. Citizen information. With citizens' assemblies, we have citizens, not elected politicians, who are too worried about their chances of getting re-elected. Citizens trying to work out how best to address the real challenges of our world, the wicked issues. With citizen scrutiny, we have citizens, not elected politicians, who are too worried about being good party members and advancing their own careers. We have citizens who are checking up on what government and ministers are doing. And with citizen government, we have the idea of people like us, rather than politicians, being the government or at least doing part of the work of government. To underpin all of that, we'd need to be sure of two things. First, that we were basing our decisions on the basis of clear facts, on the best advice. What do you think? Could we really manage to get beyond a world of fake news? We have to admit there's always been fake news. Churchill was just one of the people to suggest that there are lies, damned lies and statistics, by which he meant that the selective use of just some information – could be even more misleading than a straightforward lie. And we've been aware that politicians have tried to put the best gloss on any situation, what we call spin, but it would be important not to become Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng and to have politicians ignoring the bodies which are there to provide them with solid information and with the best assessment of the impact of their ideas. Could we learn to rely on real data rather than just who shouts the loudest? What do you think? And the second thing that we need to be sure of, if we were going to go down the route of having really effective citizen government, would be that we were sharing all the best ideas, not just from the citizens who are involved in the delivery of citizen government at any particular time, but from any of us. Because none of us is as clever as all of us together. Now that's what we're going to look at next time. Citizen thinking and ideas. If you'd like to have a look at the transcripts of the podcast, including links to all our sources and references, please go to www.talktogether.info and follow the links to the podcast from there. And of course, if you'd like to contact us, not least if you'd like to share any ideas which you have about how we could make things work better, please email us anytime on info at If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I hope you'll take the time to tell your friends. And perhaps you could also take a moment to give us a rating wherever you found us. That not only helps other people to find us, it just also really makes us feel appreciated. That would be great. Thank you.